0: Well, thanks again for being here with us this morning. We are so glad to be together. God is good, and it's great together, and to recognize what he's doing in our lives and to explore scripture together. So that's what we're going to do in the next few minutes. So I grew up um, skiing. I prefer to snowboard now, but as a kid, as a teenager, uh, skiing was the thing at the time. And so I grew up skiing, and uh, skiing required a lot of preparation, that is, the night before a ski trip, you start gathering up all your supplies. You gotta make sure you have, uh, your, your skis and your boots and everything's calibrated properly. You gotta gather up all your, your cold weather gear, um, so that you don't freeze on the mountain. I remember a friend forgetting his coat one time. And so we got him a plastic bag and cut arm and head holes and, He skied the mountain like that that day. It takes a lot of preparation, and then you get to the ski hill, and you uh, take this forever long ride on a lift up to the top, and you ski on flat groomed trails for just a little ways until you and your buddies stop looking over a cliff at the first black diamond or double diamond of the day, and you take a deep breath, right? And you prepare yourself for what is about to come, probably a crash, but a lot of fun in the process, right? So it takes preparation, and we can always, most of us can probably picture one of those experiences in life where you stand there ready to engage, ready to step into that next moment, that next experience, and that's exactly what Peter is going to be talking about to us today in First Peter chapter 1. He's going to be talking about how we prepare ourselves to engage in the journey That we've begun this story of walking with Jesus and what it looks like to engage intentionally to be prepared and to dive in here we are in 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 13. He says this therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. All right, Peter's getting to the meat of this stuff. And I love this passage. Peter has always been uh, kind of my favorite character as we read through the Gospels, the stories of Jesus and his 12 closest followers, Um He's always been my favorite because he's this impulsive, spontaneous guy. He's the guy ready to leap. Not always prepared, by the way, for the leap he's about to take. Uh, But Peter was always the guy to dive in and to engage first. He was always my favorite. But I've gained new respect for Peter uh, recently as I was studying in this passage. So we had him there in the very beginning. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Now, this word "alert" is a fairly tame translation of the Greek uh, that that this was written in. Uh, the older NIV would say, "Prepare your minds for action." I think. That's a little bit better translation. I think that gets a little bit more to the point of what Peter is trying to say here. Prepare your minds for action because it's time to engage. But what he actually says is a fascinating phrase. Uh, If this doesn't get you excited, nothing will. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's a literal translation of what Peter says here. Gird up the loins of your mind. And to us, I don't know that that has a lot of meaning for you and I, but in the first century, this had depth and meaning. They understood exactly what he's talking about. You see, if they wore robes, when they wore robes, as they always did in the first century, if they were to run, if it was time for action, if it was time to engage in an intentional way, they would pull that up above their knees and they would tie that off and they would be able to run. You see, so he's telling them here in this first little part of the passage, uh, prepare yourself for action. This is not an idle season in life. This is not a time in in which we stand around in our pretty robes or dresses idly. But instead, this is a time for action. He goes on and he says, so uh, with sober minds, be sober in your thoughts. And sobriety, when, when we think of that, we think of alcohol and addictions and drug use and things like that, but that's not exclusively what that term would be meaning. He's speaking of a clarity of mind, so he's saying with a clear mind— Prepare yourself for action. Um, he's saying, uh, a mind not hazed by our career or our friendships, our possessions, our education, or being exalted in the eyes of other people. He's saying, all these things might haze our mind. These are the things that might intoxicate us. But instead, he says, clear your mind he he he'll go on to talk about like rhythms of the world versus rhythms of the kingdom the the rhythms of life in which you used to used to walk versus the ways you were invited to walk in the ways of Jesus have you ever been in, in a place where you're present physically but just not mentally or emotionally i do this all the time yesterday i helped host a, a chess tournament at my kid's school and I sat down next to a lady, and um, we, int- we were going to do check-in together as students arrived. And we introduced ourselves, we shook hands, and literally three seconds later, I had no clue what her name was. It's like, I am sitting here engaged in a conversation with this woman, and I, but apparently I am not here. And by the grace of God, about two minutes later, she said, Okay, I'm sorry, I'm so bad with names, what's your name again? And then I got to ask her the same question, Her name is Beth, by the way, if if you were wondering. So, um, I I mean, throughout my life, I find myself in these places where I am present physically and yet not engaged uh, mentally or emotionally in the things that are happening. Peter here is challenging us this. Prepare your minds for action, right? Right? Clear your mind of the things that tend to fog it, the things that tend to overwhelm our thought processes, that, tend that we, the things that we find ourselves drawn towards. He says, clear your minds of these things and prepare yourselves for action. And what kind of action is it that he'll talk about? Well, he says, set your hope on grace. Now, um, Sarah and I, a, a few weeks ago, spoke on the subject of living hope. That's what we've titled this series as we look through this book that Peter wrote for us, um, this letter that Peter wrote for us. Um, so so we spoke a few weeks on, on this idea of living hope and I'll invite you to go back to that but it refers to he refers throughout this to where our hope will be rooted a hope that is not idle a hope that is not dead but a hope that is alive that is vibrant that it is inviting us into new and beautiful things so set your hope on this he says set your hope on Grace. Grace, simply defined, it's an unmerited gift, something received that was not deserved. And the story of the gospel is that God has offered us grace, new hope in life. Now, grace sometimes leads us, I think, I want to I want to couch this a little bit. I want to go a little bit deeper into the subject of grace because I think sometimes grace can lead us down two diverging paths that that are not what grace is about. One, it can lead to self-deprecation. It can, it can lead to this loathing. Like the subject of grace can so often be presented or understood by us in a way that that we find ourselves just loathing our sinfulness, loathing our wrongness. And well, it is very appropriate to come to the realization that I am sinful and broken and in need of a savior. That is the pivotal point in in our coming to know Jesus. Um, It is not, grace is not a story of remaining in this self-deprecating, loathing place in life. The story of grace is that our burdens, our sin has been lifted from us, and we are invited to live out of that grace, out of that new hope. I think on the flip side of the grace subject, uh, sometimes we find ourselves saying, see, so I'm forgiven, I'm good, Uh, I've been forgiven, and I'm going to be forgiven, so whatever goes, right? Grace is is sufficient. And, uh, and again, I think this is a divergent path. Instead, what Peter is going to lead us towards is this idea that having received grace, we are able to live out of and live into a new way. So, so what is this new way that, that grace invites us to? Having rooted our hope in the grace that we have been given, uh, grace calls us to action. Grace calls us to, and this is that word that's so tricky in here, be holy. Right? I don't know. God, having been so gracious in our lives, Peter draws the conclusion, therefore, be holy. Now, this is kind of a loaded word, and, I, and we'll get into a little bit more detail, but he prefaces this subject of holy in verse 14. As obedient children don't conform to the evil de- evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, if any word's gonna trigger you in here, it's gonna be the word ignorance, right? Like, there is no greater insult than I could, uh, than I could, uh, give to someone than to say, you are so ignorant, right? And I don't think that's what Peter's trying to do here, but he does use a, a very distinctive word, a very distinctive idea, ignorance. I think instead of like the harsh, uh, you are an ignorant person, um, statement here, Peter is saying, there's things that you didn't know. Before, Have you ever heard it said ignorance is bliss? I don't think that's Peter's perspective. I don't think that's a proper perspective. Ignorance is bliss. I I don't think that's even uh, much of a reality at all in our lives. For instance, we have two kids. They're eight and ten now. But I remember when they were younger and they were learning how to use utensils, a fork and a spoon and all that. Um, we, Many of us remember this phase in our children's lives when uh, at the dinner table you put on a bib to try to protect them, but the food ends up everywhere in their hair and all over their clothes and all over their faces, right? They get covered in this food. They didn't know any better right they didn't have they weren't better equipped they didn't yet have the facilities or the ability to avoid that Uh, ignorance is not bliss though they have grown up to learn how to use utensils and generally they do that well not all the time Um, but how endearing would it be like when your kids get all messy eating a meal you laugh and you wipe them off and you change their clothes but like if I were to go out to lunch today at a restaurant and do the very same things a child does with a meal, there would be nothing endearing or beautiful about that scenario. In fact, if you want to test it with me, I don't have any lunch plans yet today. So we could go out. Okay, let's, let's go see if that's cute. Let's go see if ignorance really is bliss, right? No, that's, that's not the case at all. Instead, as we grow, we learn. And we live into new ways of operating. And that is the story that Peter is painting for us here. He's saying, don't conform to the patterns of what you did when you were ignorant. You know new things. You have new knowledge. And you have been invited to live in new ways. And I think this plays out over and over again in our spiritual lives. This story of being sucked back into the things of the world that used to seem so weighty. They seemed like they mattered so much in our lives, and Peter is reminding us, no, you have new hope that is born of grace that invites us into new rhythms of life, into rhythms of, specifically, holiness. So he says, be holy. Now, that sounds like a high bar, right? That sounds like, I mean, so just be holy like God's holy you know, it, it seems a little bit insurmountable, and I wonder exactly what we're to do with this idea. It might have a neg- negative connotation for some of us. Uh, some of us have grown up in circles where this holier-than-thou-art uh, mentality and posture is present. In the first century, Peter, speaking uh, to, to Christian people of the day, they knew what it was like to live amongst the Pharisees and Sadducees who were holier than anyone else, right? Who were more righteous and better and they were perfectly willing to say it and prove it and act like it in any given situation. I think the same can be true in our Christian circles today and it's not healthy. His call to holiness is not a call to be better than other people, to posture ourselves in a way that we look better or perform better than other people, but instead, what he describes as holiness is a conversation about being set apart. Uh, by the way, Dwight Moody, he says this, "It is a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. right? Sometimes we find uh, the holy of us, the, the most holy of us um, kind of want to talk about it and prove it and show it like the Pharisees and Sadducees were, uh, but instead to live that holy life. So simply defined, holiness means to be set apart. So there's this, uh, in, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, this was a common phrase, one that they were f- familiar with. Um, in fact, Peter is quoting that when he says, so be holy as I am holy. This is God speaking. But holiness is not necessarily this self-righteousness that we can attain in and of ourselves. Instead, holiness is to be set apart. God is set apart in this world for a very particular purpose. God has a mission in this world to bring about healing and reconciliation. And Peter's encouraging us in this new life that you have been given with sober minds, right? Having cleared from your minds the things that tend to distract, prepare for action to do this, to participate in the mission of God. He's saying, prepare your minds, prepare to take action so that you can be set apart like God is set apart, so that each of us can play a role different than we used to play and that we used to know in an older way of life, but that in our workplaces, but that in our interactions with our neighbors, that in our uh, choice of occupation or the mission trips that we might choose to engage in or go on long-term, that we have a new place and a new posture in this world, and that is a holy posture. Again, holy meaning set apart. We are people set up, set apart for particular purposes that God's glory would be seen, that God's mission would be accomplished. We are invited to be a part of the mission of God. The mission of God that is reconciliation, and that's a big churchy word. Uh, it means Restoration of relationship with God, with others, and with the natural creation. That God has a mission to restore goodness and healing and hope in the lives of people and in this world. And we are a people set apart to be a part of what God is doing. Be holy as I am holy. Being holy is about living in the ways of God, participating in the things that God is doing. But Peter wasn't quite done with us, not yet. In verse 17, he continues, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, so Peter goes on here and he says, Um, we, we've prepared our minds for action, we've engaged, we've chosen to be set apart and live differently in this world. And now he's gonna, he's, he's gonna go deeper into what it looks like to live in this world, in this time. Now, of course, he's writing to a church, to a people in the first century, but I don't know about you. As I read through that, I hear so much that applies in my culture and my story, right? He talks about uh the empty way of life. The It's been handed down to you from your ancestors. And he's speaking specifically of the story of Israel and their loss of vision for the mission of God and their participation in it. But, I mean, I can say so much of the culture that I know and have been raised in, there's emptiness, right? There's a lack of hope in pursuing that new thing, in keeping up with the Joneses. We find over and over again just an emptiness. Hey, the Joneses are here. I'm trying. Yeah, we find an emptiness, though, in life, right? When our pursuit is all of these perishable things. He says these perishable things like silver and gold. So he says live instead like this. Live as foreigners in reverent fear. Now, I think this idea of foreigners is kind of interesting. I don't know if you've ever gotten to travel overseas, and some of us here have lived in other countries or right now are living here in a different country. He speaks of living as foreigners in the world. I know uh, when I was in Botswana um, for a few months, years ago, I uh, it was fascinating just to see how different the world was around me. Like you don't walk through the streets or engage in a conversation with a posture of knowledge or superiority, but instead realizing you are in a different place in which you do not know the cultural norms. You don't often know the language. You find yourself uh, taking the posture not of the authority, But of the one who is questioning and seeking to learn and to deeper understand, this is kind of the posture of a foreigner in a place. He says, maybe instead of assuming we know what Christianity or faith looks like in America or in the Western world, posture yourself like a foreigner. Ask the hard questions. Learn the things of God that apply in significant ways in your culture. This is not a story of syncretism. It's not be more like your culture. It says be a foreigner amongst your people because you are set apart. You have a different purpose in this place and in this time. So he says, walk as foreigners in reverent fear. Now, fear is not always the best motivator. I don't, I don't know about this, right? Fear is usually not the best way to motivate someone to great behavior or whatever. Uh, and yet this term fear or fear the Lord is used over and over in scripture. And and just to maybe frame a, a little bit of understanding of this term, um, well, fear uh, that is being scared is not always the best motivator. I think the fear that it speaks of here has more to do with a reverence and an appreciation for God. It has more to do with the posture in which we realize God is God and I am not. And it has to do with reverence and appreciation of who God is. So walk amongst your culture in, in in reverent fear of God, recognizing who he is and what he's inviting us to in this world and not becoming more like the world, but recognizing that we are set apart and a different people. He speaks here about these perishable things, right? The the perishable things that you used to run after, like silver or gold. But he says, but did the perishable things, did the silver or the gold ever redeem you? Absolutely not. He takes us to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, the perfect lamb, right? This is the one that redeemed you, Um. You know, uh, I I was watching a movie with my girls a few nights ago. Like I said, they're homesick. So we've been doing plenty of movie nights. And we were watching Incredibles 2, a fun little cartoon, a a fun little movie. And, um, the evil character, um, the villain in the, in the story, she is speaking with a superhero who doesn't yet know she's the villain. And she asks this question, what do people want? And the superhero answers wrongly. And the villain says, people want ease. People will trade crap for quality any day. And I look around, you know, at my life and the culture, and I find myself really resonating with this idea. People want ease over anything else in life. Now, that's not the story of Christianity, but people want ease. They'll trade the, the best stuff for the easiest stuff that will come. I will do that often in my, in my life. Did you know that tools were once built to last? Did you know that tools were once built to either last a long time or to uh, be repairable? right um so if you have a parent or a grandparent that grew up in in the depression era uh you have seen one of these shovels uh one of these shovels that has been resharpened and and re-honed so many times that it's little more than a spade but it is still in my grandfather's shop and still used on a regular basis this was a tool that was to be kept and it was to be used and today uh the tools that i buy for for my garage and for my work uh they're absolutely disposable, right? As soon as something goes wrong with it, they are built so cheaply and sold so cheaply that it's your best bet just to throw it away and get a new one. This is kind of what Peter's describing. He's describing this old way of life in which we sought after perishable things, things that were of little value uh, that, that can come and go. But he's saying in Jesus, from whom we've been redeemed, this is an eternal promise and story. This is an entirely different journey because Jesus is the one who has redeemed us. Um, it, He is not uh, an empty way of life, but instead Jesus invites us to a fullness in life that is not perishable but has eternal hope and potential. Through Jesus, he says, uh, we believe in God who raised him from the dead. It, it is in Jesus that we have come to know God more fully. It is in Jesus that we have come to know the compassion of God, that we have come to know his pursuit, God's pursuit of humanity, his undying love and pursuit of people that he created and loves deeply. And in Jesus, we find hope. We find faith and hope in God. I I remember I was sitting with a friend um, who's moved away but used to be a part of the church, and um, he was really struggling with faith, asking really hard questions of faith. And one day over lunch, I asked him, so what keeps you coming? Like, why are you still a part of this? And he says, I'm not sure what I believe about God or the Bible, but I know this. I want the world to operate more in the ways of Jesus. I can't get over this Jesus guy. And I thought from someone really struggling with faith, what more beautiful a testimony could there be? I have questions. I have doubts. There are things I'm still trying to discover and figure out. But in the character of Jesus, I understand both something more about God... And I gain a vision for what this world could look like and be, the ways of Jesus. And Peter won't hang, a, leave us hanging uh, on what that looks like. Uh, last verse we'll read is uh, verse 22 of First Peter 1. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love deeply and from the heart. I like this. He says having purified yourself by obeying the truth, you've learned to love each other, comma, but love deeply and from the heart. This is the way that Jesus operated on earth, in in a way of love, right? Engaging the marginalized and hurting people around him. In love, he would stand up against the political or the religious powers that prevented people from gaining access to God. In love, Jesus engaged this world. So I want to kind of zoom out. I broke the text into three pieces this week, but I want to look at, so what is the overarching message of our text today? We're called to live holy lives, that is, as people who are set apart. Uh, what does it look like to live this holy life? I think two primary things um, come to me in this text. He says, look past the perishable things. He says, those things that you have always sought after in life, the fame or the fortune or whatever that is, he says, look past those perishable things. You won't get to take those with you, right? These are these are perishable things and possessions. He says, as we look past the perishable, live into the way of Jesus, live into the way of love. What does it look like to look past those superficial things and to fix our eyes on holiness, fix our eyes on being set apart for God? Um, a number of years ago, as my dad was um, retiring, uh, he found himself having devoted so much of his life to his, his work and climbing the corporate ladder and all of these sorts of things, just kind of in a vacuum, like, but what's next now? Like, what is... What does retirement look like? What do I do with myself? And so um, he went to this event called Halftime, and Bob Buford uh writes a book called Halftime and puts on these conferences throughout the nation it's really a remarkable book and uh, something i think valuable for all of us in any season of life in fact but the thrust of this uh halftime concept is you know um like football game this afternoon at the Jones' house when you show up there uh half halftime at the game is for what purpose Well, that's when we see all the best commercials and refill on drinks, right? No, halftime in the game is this pivotal moment when the coaches and the players come together and they say, okay, here's what's going well and here's what's not going well and here is our plan to move forward. So the idea behind behind halftime and Bob Buford's book is let's pause in life and let's shift our thinking from success to significance, Right. Let's move beyond the simply driven by success in life, and let's ask questions of significance. Ask questions of, why am I placed on this world? Or why am I placed on this earth? In what way am I set apart for something special? And out of this experience, my father's been working in Kenya and working um, with local charities and organizations, um, and, and and just had this remarkable, life-changing moment where he realized the things that Peter has been talking to us here, right? That that major shift in life invites us to say, uh, to, to calm our mind, to put behind us some of the superficial things, and with a sober mind to prepare for action. It's not just a theological exercise, though it will begin there, to pr- prepare ourselves for action, to be holy, to be set apart for something special and beautiful and in this world. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's a challenge today. May we choose something higher, right? Something higher than and more significant than success or fame or fortune. May we choose that higher thing that is Jesus, who invites us to be set apart to be a part of the remarkable things that God is doing in this world, to be participants in his mission, to engage in ways that change lives, that transform communities, that makes this world look a little bit more like the world God created it to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity uh, to hear from Peter, who walked with Jesus, who learned from Jesus. And God, as we explore his words and his teachings uh, for us, may we just hear your voice in them. God, will you give us clarity of mind that we can be prepared to take action. God, give us vision in what is to come. God, teach us what it is uh, that you desire for us to know, that we can not just know it but implement it. Thank you that you have invited us to be lights in this world. Uh, Father, help us to shine brightly. Uh, to to um, shine in this world your glory and your goodness. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll end with this benediction, and we will go from here. May we come to know a God that is set apart, a God that is holy. May we realize our calling to be set apart, to be holy. May we clear our minds of the superficial things that would cloud them, and may we participate in what God is accomplishing in this world. Friends, have a blessed week.